Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the second episode of the London Elections Podcast in association with Little Atoms with me, Josh Nico. And this week we are discussing issues about youth engagement in the elections, discrimination, identity and diversity. Uh, And I've got a fantastic panel this week, Kenny Amaphidon, who produced three Kenny reports on youth issues and politics and is now Partnerships and Programmes Director of Youth Engagement Organisation Bite the Ballot. Shelley Asquith, uh, who is the... um, Vice President Welfare of NUS and formerly a Student Union President of University of the Arts. Dio Chakravarti, uh, who came to London to study at 17 and has lived in London full-time since she was 24, as the Political Director of the Taxpayers Alliance. And Amelia Gachinga, uh, who grew up and still lives in Newham and is the Take Back the City candidate for City and East. I'd like to start on the issue of youth participation in these elections, which has been low since the Office of Mayor was created in 2000. Uh, one figures we have, more polls before the 2000 election, suggesting only about 27% of 18 to 24-year-olds uh, said they were going to vote. Kenny, from your, your work with By the Ballot and before, how would you analyse this problem and what's the best way of dealing with it? I guess one of the biggest issues is the fact of awareness. So a lot of young people are not aware of the fact that there's an election happening in the first place. So the recent poll by Hope Not Hate and Ben and Jerry shows that four in ten young people have said that basically they're not aware that an election's going to happen in May. Um, and I think for me, I'm provided by it, that's a very scary thing, the fact that people don't know this election's happening. At the same time, it's also because they've not been engaged with and there's not really that much material out there or conversations happening about the upcoming mayoral elections that's been drowned by the EU referendum so anything mm. politics that anyone knows about is the EU so that drown, that's drowning out the sound of local elections or the mayoral Whose job is it? Is it politicians themselves or, or um, elements of, of bureaucracy um, who, who are running the le- elections or is it a wider task for media and for London public as a whole to do this? Um, I guess it's uh, everybody's got a joint responsibility. Um, I think it's easy to blame politicians to say they're not engaging with uh, this particular group but they can't engage with every single person. However, I guess civic society and the media have a responsibility to actually make people aware about these elections that are coming up and also really targeting resources with organisations such as Bite the Ballot who can actually engage with that target demographic. 
there's no point getting the same dull organisations having these massive resources and they don't engage with a group which is massively unregistered. Uh, I mean, uh, Dia, what was your experience and, and feelings like this? I think um, Ken is absolutely right that it is everybody's responsibility. That's the only way it's ever going to work. Um, from my organisation, what we like to do is um, speak as much as we possibly can um, with universities and even sixth form colleges and try and go to schools and, and the various sort of um, politics and economics clubs that, that some of the schools have and, and try to make people feel that they have a stake in whatever policy uh, decision is being made, uh, often in their names. W- um, would it help even 16-year-olds to vote? Well, I think I think that's a, certainly an interesting idea, but it's also important that we take the information to sixteen-year-olds. You know, it's it's just not it's not enough to just say they have the very uh, important responsibility of going and voting. But if we're not making them engaged, if we're not uh, providing them with information when they are interested in it, um, I'm not sure how much that's actually going to achieve. How informed do you find younger people uh, at school as opposed to people in their twenties? Is there a drop off maybe as well? It varies quite a bit actually. I find that often when you're actually going to um, speak to say politics fairs, I've done that a fair few times. Um, local comprehensive schools who you know who who have uh, who are probably interested in politics and that sort of uh, those sort of issues. Uh, there's a huge amount of interest and huge amount huge amount of engagement as well. It's nice to you know to, to see that and they ask you very difficult questions mm. and they. Put you on the spot it's very interesting um, sometimes what you can find though is that when somebody's not generally interested in politics as a person it might be harder to engage with those young people and I suppose that's where schools may have a role to play where everybody you know has some sort of involvement in these sort of issues because after all it, it, it affects all of us I mean what's your experience in East London and uh, elsewhere yeah um, well with Take Back the City what we've been doing is building manifesto uh, which have entitled the People's Manifesto by meeting uh, many different groups across London. Um, and many of these people that we've met are students. And we've been running uh, uh, workshops uh, in schools, colleges and universities where we talk to often depoliticised or unengaged people about, you know, what do you want for a better London? But we start off with questions like, do you know who Boris Johnson is? And it would be like, yeah, that guy with the... <laughs> The, the hair you know it will start off like that and it'll be like uh, you know talking about inequality in the city what are you and your family's uh, experiences of living in this city how you know and then how is it related to the political system and you know do you feel that you have a say and you're represented in this system and no is the answer to that and to the people that you know to the young people that aren't voting like I say, I don't blame you, really. That's what I've been saying, because politics uh, in our city has become really uh, far removed from our daily experiences and the representation that we're seeing uh, in uh, Parliament, um, you know, and our mayor are not representative of the, the regular Londoner, yet alone the regular young person growing up in like inner city London. So you, um, you would say part of the answer is better candidates. Better, should it, should yeah, be we want we want well. candidates that um, come from our communities who know uh, what is needed in their communities to be the leaders and to to run for election. That's what we hope for. We've we've gone the extra mile by like doing poetry on buses. I've been going on the top decks of buses and and reciting a poem that I made with my friend Rowan. He's from Brixton. He's a spoken word artist. 
um, and we've been saying, oh, hi, guys, like, uh, we just want to share something with you about our reality in London. And, yeah, just if you want to listen, thank you. Like, and we've recited uh, th- that poetry and young people are, like, applauding. Young people are like, yes, this is exactly what we need. And I explain that I'm standing for election and they're like, thank you so much. That's amazing. More, more poetry and maybe musical appearances from the leading candidates. Not only appearances, <laughs> it's engagement through art. This is the cultural hub of the world. It needs to happen that way. Shelley, one of the key recent political issues has been the implementation Mm. of individual electoral registration in December, which has seen a disproportionate number of young people uh, fall off registers um, because of their mobile uh, situation, Mm. particularly uh, for students. Um, What's your um, uh, insight into how students at London universities and colleges are uh, their, their position for these elections? Yeah, well, like 10% of London's population are students, so part of my membership. And I think there's an argument to say that these people are disenfranchised with politics, but actually I think this government has actively tried to disenfranchise them. With the changes to the voter registration, it means that the hundreds of thousands of students that live in halls of residence, for instance, when they started in September, the halls and the universities used to be able to block register them, every single student, but now they have to do it individually. They have to go out of their way to actually sign up. And when you're coming to London for perhaps a term, a year, three years, not only do you not have as much of investment to take part in the political process as somebody who's lived here all their lives or planning to stay here, but you also don't necessarily know about it, you don't know about the system. Um, and and so I think that's, that's a real issue and that's going to really see um, involvement drop. But just going back to the stuff around um, people who are going to be first-time voters... I remember uh, in 2011, in the lead-up to the last Mayor of London election, uh, me and a bunch of other young people went around to six form colleges in London and we spoke about the different candidates, the different issues. And people say that, the, that these young people don't know anything about politics, but they absolutely do. They asked mm-hmm. us such challenging questions, they knew exactly about like all the issues, and it was more about having someone young standing in front of them who could relate to what they were going through, who knew what it was like to lose their EMA and, and so on. Um, and that's how I think we need to engage people. I think there is a, a problem of, of representation where politicians don't look or sound like us. Um, and, and I think that's why we need kind of like young ambassadors going out and, and talking to people about politics. But we do need to address the voter registration issue as well. Do we need more young politicians too uh, coming onto the Assembly perhaps or, or uh, young, younger mayoral candidates? I think that's great, but I, I think you don't necessarily have to be young to understand and, and listen to what young people have to say. I think it's yeah, not necessarily totally about... Them, for example. Yeah, um, it's not necessarily about identity. It's about actually appreciating what young people are saying when they talk about tuition fees or talk about housing or talk about police racism uh, and rather than just dismissing them. Uh, the tone of this race has been characterised increasingly of... Uh, something that um, has concerned and um, provoked uh, many commentators um, in media and politics, not simply over the Zach Goldsmith campaign's uh, accusation against Hadid Khan uh, for giving cover to extremism and and, and all of the potential overtones uh, of that relating to race and religion, but also through the targeting of particular ethnic groups of voters by the Goldsmith campaign, and uh, arguably as well by Sadiq Khan's identification of his own immigrant story and his particular identity as as being able to fight extremism. Identity politics appears to have been playing this uh, major role. How much does this concern you as an issue? Kenny? I don't know, I think you kind of 
yeah, missed the mark. I don't think it's identity politics. I just think it's a case of people are parent are playing the whole um, fair mongering politics route. Mm. Really to say one person saying this other person is scary, and I don't think it's got anything to do with even the two front runners. It's just becoming politics um, as as we're continuing in this sort of time with the last general election. We saw a lot of scaremongering with the um, Scottish referendum and the mayoral elections. There's no difference. Um, people are using fair as a means to get people to vote a particular way in terms of looking at what people are afraid of. For example, even with the whole Sadiq and the actual extremist links, that's actually someone who's a constituent, first and foremost. Yeah. He's actually even a conservative and he's actually been in photos of also with Zach Goldsmith. Mm. However, if you look at it in the small context of David Cameron and PMQs taking that opportunity, you'd think something else. That's the problem. People are getting... Um, sort of celebrity politics gossip and just pushing things out and hoping that people sort of consume it is there any way around this politics fear and sort of superficial approach to politics no of course that that just depends on the candidates and who's really trying to i don't know people sort of don't understand the message of actually hope and what you actually want to do is much more um will resonate with much more of young people by actually just saying look this is what i want to do you can't just want to stand because i don't want this other person to win it's can I? Yeah, of course, I, I just yeah. like yeah, what you're saying is like my wavelength and um, yeah, divisive politics, negative politics. We're sick of it. In fact, I feel like everyone's fallen deaf to it. And the reason why people aren't voting a lot of the time is because they are sick of this kind of like fear mongering that we're having. Um, and yeah, like with Take Back the City, we've always been like. We are Londoners and we're united in the, the resistance that we're having against the cuts or against, uh, you know, the inequality that um, that we are facing. And our common stories, um, we need to find them within each community and work together because the way that these politicians are kind of using identity to throw us off the scent that the, it's the wealthy that we're actually <laughs> being palmed off by and the reason why our public services are going down the pan, the reason why we are struggling in our city, uh, that that sort of united politics scares people like Zach Goldsmith, I feel. So he will use divisive politics so that we don't we don't see that. It's certainly part of the wider I think it's actually disgraceful from Zach Goldsmith's camp actually playing into this wider narrative of Islamophobia and that Muslims have are somehow answerable to everything that other Muslims have done. I think if Sadiq wasn't a Muslim, this wouldn't have been thrown at him, this thing that he did 12 years ago in his own constituency. But suddenly, because he's on a panel and because he is of the same faith, never mind if he's got completely different politics, completely different worldview to somebody else, he has to answer to it because he's also Muslim. Uh, it's bigger than like an identity thing just of Sadiq as well. We're seeing this play out in education in all sorts of the public sector with the prevent duty uh, and that's definitely something that we, we need to fight um, I think it's interesting though how Sadiq is using the fact that he's a Muslim in his campaign messaging as how he's the best person to take on extremism that's very interesting um, messaging it, is, is that a risk uh, or is it uh, a, do you think it's a positive uh, for uh, you know, trying to um, discuss these issues candidly and tackle them properly I'm not sure. I, it'd be interesting to see what, what people think of it and, and why he feels that he needs to me- it, like sort of mention it at all in there. Uh, whether he thinks that people are going to pick up on this narrative and, and, and 
be against him because of it. I mean, it's a sorry state of affairs if that's the case, but unfortunately it probably is, and it probably is working against him. So, yeah, having grown up outside the UK mm-hmm. and of um, um, Muslim and, and Hindu parentage, mm-hmm. um, how do you feel? Do you, do you wish the Khan campaign hadn't uh, brought, brought this self-identity element uh, into it? And, and how do you feel about the, uh, this tone in UK politics? Well, I, I think uh, London is one of the most tolerant places anyone could ever wish to uh, live in. I mean, you know, take it from a first-generation immigrant, it is absolutely the case, um, at least in my experience. Um, whether or not, uh, you know, how people want to present themselves as a candidate it must really be entirely down to down to themselves. Some people might find that that's not something that they want to talk about at all. It might not be important to them. So when um, Ed Miliband, you know, when he was running his campaign, uh, we've never really heard of religion uh, from him, you know, clearly it was not something that he was comfortable talking about, or, or he didn't think it was relevant. You know, Tony Blair famously, I think Alistair Campbell said, "We don't do God," so mm-hmm. you know that's something that they didn't want to talk about. On the other hand, if Sadiq thinks that that's something that's important to him, that's something that is important to his identity, I think it's quite a personal thing. It, it, it has to be up to uh, the campaign. Um, I, from what I know of London, I find it very difficult to believe that it's going to, you know, that that particular thing, that, that he, he's a Muslim, is going to, you know, thwart his chances in any way. It might be other things, you know, other policy areas or whatever, but I, I can't quite imagine that him being a Muslim, like, that's not the London I, I have ever experienced. I don't know, other people might have other, other experiences. I would agree with you on that, personally, yeah. And I think that people might be put off Sadiq Khan because of other, other things, such as him funding his campaign through, uh, you know, property uh, investors and developers. Mm. That is an issue. So, you know, he talks a lot about how he's working class and Mm -hmm. he uh, lived in council housing and all of that jazz. But, uh, you know, if you're taking thousands from property developers, where does that leave me? as a voter where does that leave me thinking where are your alliances are you going to fight for more social housing are you going to fight um for rent caps you know what are you what are you actually going to do i think he did say he wants to look into rent caps but like you know we crowdfunded our campaign for example because we wanted it to be off the grassroots and from the people so i think he he should have taken more of a democratic route I think both the Khan and the Goldsmith campaign seem to be keen to uh, give a sense of um, prioritising Londoners um, above people uh, out foreign investment and those outside the city. Uh, and this has been a sort of a, a, an increasing theme, maybe through uh, Ken Boris's uh, mayoralties. Has, has there been um, enough to um, kind of reassure and, and promote? people who are London, uh, London resident, London working, are you, are you convinced by that in, in the campaigns? I think that they're very pro-business mm. and that, like, as a Londoner for me, is e- extremely concerning. They might say a lot about, we're for Londoners, we're for this and that, but are they for the working class Londoners who are being pushed out of our city right now? Are they up for... F- fighting the social cleansing that is happening in our city that's the biggest question so when you know if Sadiq Khan for example is going to support the expansion of London City Airport which is right beside a community that I work in I run a choir in the community centre right next to the airport and the respiratory disease 
that is suffered by new residents you know like it is a huge issue a huge health issue and the asthma as well um is a big issue then like are you really for <laughs> these londoners that you you speak of or are you for a higher class of londoner an elite londoner who can take a private jet from the airport and fly whenever they want to, etc., etc. Is there the sense that whether it's been Labour, Kennel, Tory, Boris, yeah. it's gone in the same direction Precisely. over, you know, and that there should be a check on national government and other trends as opposed to encouraging them on business? On uh, another issue now, we've seen a, a rise over the last year in gang. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss hey dave yeah randy since we founded bombas we've always said our socks underwear and t-shirts are super soft any new ideas maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy wait what i got it bombas absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness because one purchased equals one donated wow did we just write an ad yes Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Both gang violence and serious youth violence, uh, despite underlying uh, crime trends uh, in decline. Uh, and uh, also Labour has raised uh, the issue of police numbers. Uh, they claim declining uh, by 1,535 in the Met um, under Boris. Um what is the best uh, what's the nature of the problem firstly with, compared to uh, before the London riots uh, and, and the last spike in knife crime which was when Boris came in uh, and it was a prominent issue how, how big a problem is there among uh, London youth and um, what's the best answer to it Kenny um, I, I, one of the big issues that a lot of the issues that still remain now are very much social and economical issues which uh, which were taking place before the rights and they still exist today the only difference is that now there's just less money which if anything makes mm. the problems even worse um, so for I think a lot of the issues we've been speaking about today is what breeds a lot of the the violence and the, the gangs that we create in society for me as far as I'm concerned a lot of people have that um, of this thinking that yeah, gangs are a symptom of society nobody just sort of grows up and thinks this is exactly what I want to do it's based on through circumstances through having a um, negative pair groups and, and whatnot. And so for me really a lot of the issues they need to tackle are things to do with housing, to do with education, better quality teachers. There's a lot of factors that we actually need to solve first before we can even talk about gangs or crime or whatever. Um the fact of police numbers going down obviously doesn't help. However, prevention 
which doesn't really happen in London in terms of investment and services, it's appalling. So you look at youth services in London in particular, it's been, it's dropped massively. There's practically no youth services at all. And um, the youth sector's on its knees and it's going to be even cut even further as time goes on. So for me, if they continue to do that, then this problem will only get worse. So there was a 90% cut, I believe, in GLA funding for these services uh, between 2014 and this current year. Yeah, and London's got the highest youth unemployment as well. Mm. So, mm-hmm. so already, th- mm-hmm. so a lot of time we talk about this stuff about gangs, crime and everything else, but actually we've got some of the biggest problems in the UK that happen in London. We're looking at child homelessness, we're looking at um, inequality, it's a lot of it, the biggest problems that happen in the capital and elsewhere. Would, would it help if the politicians, uh, main, the main part of politicians, change the language um, to, to recognise this, and 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 so that it, it, crime didn't just fall into this silo, and that they did talk about all the economic issues. You know, just to make that change without changing other policies, um, would that I, be enough? No, I think it's not about language. It's about seeing it as a this whole crime gangs as a public health issue. And big time, a lot of these people are they're, they're traumatised and they're not being diagnosed. A lot of them have social sort of coming from difficult communities. A lot of them are actually coming from parents who are actually very well off and there's no issues but they mm. still find themselves there and so for me it's seen as a public health issue and spending time with experts who understand this as opposed to just giving lip service Boris is, yeah, Boris is just giving the police a lot of powers to do things and put, implement these schemes but they haven't been successful prevention is much better than cure and still Boris doesn't get it neither does Mopac and until they invest and work with community organisations who do get it Nothing will ever change. We can't have the continuous circles or ever getting contracts for London and then basically trying to solve our problems. Do you, do, do you agree uh, with this uh, uh, view of this as a public health issue? And is, where's the answer? Is it, is it through money and funding or is it through where, where that funding might be directed? I think um, some of the things that Kenny's talked about is, is, is really important. You know, education, jobs, these are the things that young Londoners worry about. These are the things that any 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 youngster growing up anywhere these days would, would, would think about. And I think um, London is no different at all, really. So it, everything from everything I've heard here or everything I've ever read or experienced, it is about better engagement. I think role models can play a really mm. important part um, in, you know, showing young people that it's possible to uh, what is possible to do with one's life I mean that's always growing up it, it, it can always be confusing you know it's, it can always be difficult to choose a path which one's right which one's wrong which one's exciting which one perhaps is the safest path but probably not you know probably a little bit dull um, so I think having really good role models and you know the media can play a really good role in there in making sure that there are people to look up to people who can guide people and that doesn't necessarily have to be in a sort of formulaic way I think as a society we can do a lot more and, and as a as a community we can do a lot more Amina how do you feel in terms of your local community and yeah like um uh Kenny was talking about youth provision completely true um Alright, the the community centre I work in, which is called Asta Asta Community Centre, year on year it's threatened with uh, closure, um, and it's got to the point where they need to go to uh, gambling shops to get their money. Uh, <laughs> to do you know what I mean? That that that's how deep it is. Like the council's not funding it, the cha- the, the uh, youth charity can't afford to fund it anymore. So it's like they have to go to the airport and the gambling shops to fund this centre. But they don't know on the next year if they'll still be there, etc. And these centres, 
they don't look very pretty sometimes. Do you know what I mean? Like there's they're old school. They're part of these estates, but they serve as a a hub for the community where people can go to when they're at their lowest ebb sometimes and find advice, be it to do with housing or jobs, uh, job training, which is like a huge problem in that area uh, of Newham, especially like um, young men who who don't know how to get a job will go there and they'll get advice on like CVs or they'll be able to find out about apprenticeships or they'll have uh, classes to like further their English or they'll have cooking lessons. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. These are all, it's all about investing Mm -hmm. in young people. So when youth services are cut or when there's a 90% drop in uh, funding and young people see this around them, they say, I'm not valuable in our society I think that that's the message that our politicians are giving us and the take back the city argument for that is we need more powers and a bigger budget devolved to London's assembly and and then we need powers to be devolved to our communities as well because managers of community centres generally have a very good idea of what's happening in, in their community and this all relates to gang violence and stuff and what programmes need to be put in place so that we can engage uh, those young people again and prevent uh, the violence on our streets. How much can be done at that community level uh, if uh, educational inequalities uh, remain and uh, with the increasing cost of higher education? Uh, Shelley, do you... Well, it's a, it's a massive issue, and I think we've also got to look at the institutional racism that exists in the workplace and in education. You are more likely to be in prison as a young Bangladeshi man than to ever go to university, for instance. So we do need to be talking about investing in all those services, investing in youth services, but actually there's something else going on here where, the, where certain types of people aren't getting those opportunities. And I think, basically, the main political parties are framing it in completely the wrong way by talking about how we need to be spending more on policing. Because actually criminalising young people is not the answer. That's actually what's pushing a lot of people into gangs and, and violence. We need to be giving them ways out. It's about prevention, but it's also about making those ways out accessible to them rather than things that they don't want to do or they don't know about or they don't have the contacts to get into and again like role models are fantastic but usually it's the anomaly the one person that managed to break out who you're probably never going to be because they're they broke out the system against all the odds Uh, we need to take away those odds is there denial or at least embarrassment about these this continuing racism as you describe it is that something that um we would be loath to admit and uh, want to address because of it, it sort of goes against what we think about our society. Yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah, we always talk about how multicultural and diverse London is, and it, and it absolutely is, but there are still huge barriers, huge economic inequalities uh, that exist. Um, and, I mean, <laughs> we have a government that facilitates that as well. I mean, David Cameron only a few years ago talked about how multiculturalism had failed, uh, which I think goes against what a lot of Londoners believe and and feel about their own identity as a Londoner. I don't, it's a multicultural uh, debate. Is that still something we should be having, Kenny? No, no, it's not really. I guess so. London, you could say, is multicultural. I mean, if you go to a lot of different parts of the UK, um, mm. this is really spot the BME there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, I think there is some stuff. A, a lot of people they're very uncomfortable with that truth, and they prefer to be. Um, to deny it or to pretend it doesn't exist, um, and that's why a lot of people, a lot of people are more concerned about 
being called racism with actual racism as a whole. We're recording this the day after Lord Dobbs' amendment for uh, 3,000 uh, unaccompanied migrant children to be accepted in the, into the UK was turned down um, and uh, all of the coverage about that. Should the Mayor of London have a particular message for Syrian uh, refugees and other uh, people escaping conflict in the world? Uh, I believe Boris Johnson last year suggested London should accept Syrians in addition to the target that David Cameron had set. Dear, do you have a, a view on this? I think it's a, it's, it's a really, I mean, this is probably one of the biggest crises um, of our times, um, really, um, uh, and I'm not sure that it's going to get better anytime soon. So we've really got to find some uh, some solutions. Um, I think it's, it's important to look at how much we can take as a city as well, and I think it's important to um, to have that debate, but I'm not sure that we are, we, anyone's actually started having that debate, really. Um, I think we see a lot of grandstanding around it, but I'm not sure anyone's actually, uh, uh, you know, come up with any, any sort of solutions that, that's actually actually going to work I actually see um, quite a lot of merit in taking you know as many children as we possibly can from the actual war-torn areas because I think that does take away the risk of those really perilous journeys that desperate people make across yeah. you know across these well across the the continent uh, trying to get here and I think it plays into the hands of people smugglers as well so I think there's something to be said about that but uh, absolutely we should we should see how we can do what we can do for all those kids just stuck in that war zone, which is absolutely horrendous. It's just, it begs belief. I do actually know one example of really good best practice mm. of people actually taking action, and that's at Middlesex University, the student union there linked up with local mosques, synagogues, churches in the Barnet area to talk about what they could do to get the council to resettle 50 Syrian refugees. Mm. And so they ran a big campaign with Citizens UK, um, they did big public open meetings, petitions and, and everything, and eventually Barnet uh, decided that they would take in 50 Syrian refugees, they would offer them all school places and all housing in the local area. Mm. And it was just a few weeks ago that they got a call to say they're on their way, uh, they've packed their bags and they're going to be resettling really soon. And that's a great example of the local community coming together to put pressure on a Tory-run council as well. So I think there's definitely things that other councils in London could do, but also the mayor. There's loads of empty buildings all over the mm-hmm. city that could be putting up these people that are desperate for a home, desperate for shelter. Uh, and so that's something that I'd love to see some of the candidates say that they do or they put pressure on local authorities to do as well. We have, uh, in this election, the Women's Equality Party taking part for the first time uh, and pointing out the 23% pay gap uh, that remains between men and women in London, bigger than in the rest of the UK, and also pushing for companies to adopt quotas for boards within 10 years on a, on a progressive basis. Uh, and the party saying that they're having influence on, on the front runners in, in terms of their policies towards uh, equality. Um, the, the three women here, uh, <laughs> how, how do you feel uh, uh, about issues of, of, on equal pay and of women socially in London, of, of uh, safety uh, and transport and in public places, uh, are the, we have two male leading candidates, mm. um, have they recognised that sufficiently? Quotas for getting women on the board just isn't good enough. And I think it's a very top-down capitalist feminist approach. I think we should be pressuring London companies and employers to be publishing their wages across the board so that they're actually shamed if they're paying women less. This is something I think other countries do and I think that would go a step towards closing the gap because 
people would feel less inclined to actually go and work there if they knew there was a huge sexist gender pay gap. Uh, but that's not something I've necessarily seen anybody talk about. Dear Mina. Well, I mean, it's absolutely crucially important that um, men and women get the same amount of money for the same sort of, of the same job that they're doing, not the same sort of, but the same job that they're doing. I don't think anyone in their right mind would quarrel uh, with that at all. So that is hugely important, and we and we need to make sure that happens. What a lot of the time, what also happens is that women are. Uh, fall behind at certain stages of their lives when they, as as a as a, as a family unit, perhaps mm. take certain decisions. And when we when we talk about those sort of situations, it's the families, it's the social differences that we really must talk about. So me, for example, if I if I take my personal experience, I was brought up by my father a lot more than uh, you know my mother could give me time because my father was self-employed, my mother wasn't, so she had to go out and work, and I was left with my father quite a bit. And in a Bangladeshi society in the eighties, this was a you know this this was a, it was a, you know people laughed at my father quite a bit. My my father didn't care at all. Um, but it's wonderful to see that that is changing bit by bit now. But if, as you know, as as a, as a married woman, I say this, I don't, I don't know what, what the, the status of the other other panelists are. If you don't get that support from your family, you know, my mother could only do it because my father was there, not because of any, you know, not because of anything else, but purely because that family support was there. It's hugely important, and I think as you grow older, it becomes more and more clear that if you don't have your family support, your partner support you're not going to be able to function. And I think that's what needs to change. And I think in London, if I look at my generation, that has changed to a great extent. You know, I, I personally know people who are, you know, partners in, in sort of, you know, top city firms and their husbands are stay-at-home uh, 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 dads and they look after their kids. And, and, and that's, that's amazing. I think even 10 years ago, that wouldn't have, you know, that wouldn't have been the norm. It would have been something that, you know, something of an anomaly. Um, so I think things are changing, but I also think that it'll take it'll take time. But it is up to us to keep that pressure on. And costs of childcare, cost of nursery places needed addressing. Yeah, I think I was looking at some. I think some statistic said that you had to earn about I don't know something like forty two thousand something like that as a woman. You know, to to mm. actually be for, for it to be able to. For, for it to be worth your while to actually go out and work so I think I mean as, as with everything else I think deregulation might be something that we look at that it, it becomes easier for people to look after you know look after children um, I think there was one fantastic example that I heard I think from Germany where they brought together sort of an old people's home and nursery together and it meant that children were looked after by well adopted got grandparents if you like <laughs> and it was it was it was great for both both the, 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 the groups of people and now I'm not saying you know this should happen overnight it's not going to happen overnight there are serious issues around security safety all those sort of things but I think these are all interesting ideas that we could look at uh, to make sure that the, the difference uh, the, sorry the solutions come from the communities and the society um, I think that yeah like obviously women should be getting equal pay to, go, to men um, but like the war that <laughs> the Tories have waged on women through their cuts is insane like women bear the brunt of all of these po policies more than men and I think that needs to be recognised more by parties as well and um, as a result of this we can see single mothers being pushed out of temporary accommodation that they've been moved into because they're homeless you know Focusy 15 their campaign let's look at that um, what about Sisters Uncut and the their amazing campaign against domestic violence mm -hmm. because women who are who can't find a home being made homeless like not being able to choose where they live you know and making sure them and 
all their children are safe. That's insane. And, like, this government uh, has done nothing to, like, make women feel safe at all. So the pay thing, yeah, that's one thing. But also we need to look at, like, the cuts that are being made as well because they're, yeah, they're affecting women more than men. Mm. There's one thing the mayor could do. Boris Johnson, when he became mayor, got rid of the department which looked specifically at women's issues. Mm -hmm. I think there was one commissioner or something, and he scrapped it. So bringing that back would be good, but there's also only one local authority in the whole city which has a cabinet member whose post post holder it's for women's safety specifically. Mm -hmm. So expanding these kind of roles where we've actually got dedicated research and you know political um, leadership on on women's issues would be at least a start. Uh, d- does it matter that we have of the front runners Sadiq Khan proudly proclaiming he's a feminist and Zach Goldsmith saying that he'd never call himself a feminist? Um, Kenny, would that change your feelings about either of them? Uh, no, not really. Um, I guess being a feminist is agreeing with the fact that you believe that women should be equal with men economically, politically, um, socially. Um, yeah, if somebody's not actually for that, I should be a bit worried. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I guess that's that's all being a feminist is, doesn't mean I'm gonna necessarily be campaigning to map what life's like being a woman because obviously I'm not. Um, but I guess it's it's being alive to it and being aware and just supporting what you know is right. If our represent if if our representatives are afraid of calling themselves feminists, then I want to touch them with the barge pole. <laughs> that's how I feel about that. <laughs> it's also about what you do though as well as what you say like it's great that Sadiq sees himself as a feminist but I want to know what mm-hmm. he's going to do for women thank you you've been all fantastic um, uh, Kenny Shelley Nina Dia um, I hope you ch- tune in to the next London Elections podcast thank you Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.